Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's creation is, is really wonderful. And also, the pinnacle of God's creation, humans, uh, when you look at it, you can see that the human body that God created is really amazing. God has created abil- uh, humans with the ability to do astounding things, whether it be uh, artwork or music or sports, you name it. Uh, think of a sculptor. Somehow I have no idea how sculptors can take a chunk of marble or wood and they just shape it into a masterpiece. It's phenomenal. Well, sadly, much of these human achievements are done for human glory. But why did God create humans the way he did? Well, for his own glory. That is the purpose of life, that we live for God's glory. We can say along with David in Psalm 139, I praise you, O Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Or think of the last words of 1 Corinthians 6, where we are told simply, glorify God in your body, in your body, glorify God. You see, all the things God allows humans to do on the earth display His handiwork, His wisdom, His marvelous design. We see this also when it comes to things such as marriage and human sexuality as well. God's design in creation is so clearly seen in the physical union of a man and a woman. It is God's design. They were designed perfectly for each other. And because marriage and human sexuality were created by God, He calls us to use it for His glory as well. What does that look like? Well, this means a number of things. It means following God's design, how He created it. This means using it within the bounds of God's good commandments. And this means also being guided by the two greatest commandments that we love God with our whole being, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves, also when it comes to the seventh commandment. So this afternoon, I'll preach you God's word under the following theme and points. In the seventh commandment, God calls us to glorify him in our bodies. We'll see that we do this by, first of all, fighting against temptation, second of all, living as members of Christ, and finally, following God's plan for human sexuality. So first of all, fighting against temptation. Now, when it comes to the seventh commandment, I'm sure you know temptations to sin abound in our world. They're everywhere. The internet is stuffed full of pornography. Websites help to facilitate marital unfaithfulness. One-night stands are the norm in our culture, and, and so on. We might think that temptations we face in this are greater than ever before, and perhaps they are. Uh, The internet and smartphones have increased uh, these temptations abundantly. But temptations to sexual sin is nothing new. In fact, the ancient Corinthians faced this same struggle. See, the location of Corinth made it an important uh, port city. It had a sheltered harbor. It lay close to Athens, that great city of Greece. It served as a main outlet from Greece to Italy and Rome. 
As a result, sailors on long voyages frequently came into port here. And that reality led to a large demand for prostitution. And sadly, the city of Corinth could meet the demand. You see, Corinth not only featured uh, a well-placed location for a port, but it also lo- uh, was the location for the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. A better name, however, would be the goddess of sexual immorality, because her temple made Corinth a cesspool of sexual sin. And so it's no wonder that Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, speaks to this matter substantially. This is something they faced in their city. They were faced with it on a daily basis. And so listen to 1 Corinthians 6. He says, A body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. He says, Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute, such as that temple of Aphrodite? Never. And he says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? So he says, Flee from sexual immorality. So obviously, the widespread immorality in that city tempted the Christians there at times, right? They faced that. And some of them had been neck deep in that lifestyle before they came to know Christ. And the reality is that our old nature can die very hard. Temptations can still grab us, our old temptations. And then Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 10. The Holy Spirit through Paul brings up the example of Israel in the wilderness. He says they were all baptized. They all ate the same spiritual food. But God was not pleased with most of them. And that's because they indulged all kinds of sin. And one of them was sexual immorality, sexual sin. And so he... Uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul, he impresses upon the Corinthian Christians and upon us. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not already common to men, to people in general. That is to say, he's saying, I know that, yeah, temptation is something you face in your life. It's a reality. So be on guard. Recognize that fact. Be on guard. And even if you are not tempted in this way right now, you very well might be in the future. Now, it's really uh, striking how he describes temptation here in 1 Corinthians 10. The ESV says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. We could also easily translate it, No temptation has seized you. Uh, and that's how a temptation to sexual sin can feel. That your body's in the grip of incredibly powerful desires, and that to fight against it takes a monumental struggle. But notice what he also says about temptation here. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, there are two main takeaways from that statement. One is a bit of a warning, 
And the other takeaways, also comfort. And the warning part is this. This verse makes clear that we are indeed responsible for our sin. You see, we cannot say that, well, sin was inevitable, or that temptation was just too strong that it it was not my fault. No, what this verse is teaching us, too, is that we must take ownership of our sin, also in the matter of the seventh commandment. Take ownership of it and confess our sin to God. There's also the comforting part. And that is resisting temptation is possible. Saying no to temptation is possible. And freedom from slavery to sexual sin is possible. And it's so important to understand that. As when someone is in the depths of slavery to sexual sin, it can feel like they will never be free. That's what it can feel like. Freedom is possible. You must believe that. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He says He will also provide the way of escape. So we must take hold of that promise of God and also take the way of escape when tempted. Take it. Or even more important than that, before you are tempted, don't wait till the moment of temptation, but before you are tempted, Commit yourself to looking for the the escape when temptation strikes. And to help you in this, it's good to take a look at the pattern of sin that can take root in our lives. You see, usually sin of this nature follows a pattern. Let's say if you were to fall to pornography... No, ask yourself, well, did the temptation begin 30 minutes before you sinned? Or maybe did it begin a day or two before? Maybe in how you reacted to a stressful day at work? Maybe after that argument you had with another person? It's good to understand the, the patterns behind it. It'll help you recognize temptation all the more. You know, is there a particular day day of the week that you struggle with simply because of your routine. Understand the pattern of sin can help you guard against temptation. And seeing the beginning of that pattern at an early point can help you get yourself off the road to falling. And understand also the importance of taking that way of escape, of fighting against temptation, Right? There are some strong warnings in these readings that we read from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Then there's 1 Corinthians 10. The things that happened to Israel took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. So those are the warnings right from God's Word, and take them to heart. Don't flee from sexual immorality. And in that regard, 
feel the need to also say a little bit more about something like pornography. You know, pornography is what we can call the I'll deal with it later sin. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe a youth gets into a pattern of pornography from a pretty early age and thinks, oh, I'll deal with this when I'm older, when I'm an adult, then I'll, then I'll get rid of the sin. A young adult is stuck in pornography and thinks, oh, I'll deal with this when I'm, when I'm in a relationship, but not now. A person in a relationship says, well, I'll deal this with this once I get married. Right? At that point, then I'll, I'll get rid of it. No. That pattern can keep going indefinitely. The right time to deal with it is today. Right? And I mean this very day, October 2nd. 2022. Deal with it today. Don't wait. And if you find yourself falling, please get help. Get help. There is help available. Do not struggle all on your own. That brings us to our second point. So God calls us to flee sexual temptation. But we don't just flee as those running uh, aimlessly, laying nowhere. The ultimate remedy is found in Christ. Now look at the struggle found in Corinth. Sexual temptation was there. Some in the church were caught up in it. But look at where God points us in these chapters. First, we read that warning from 1 Corinthians 6. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor, and so on, uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. But then listen to what he says next, right? And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is who we are as believers. We no longer define ourselves by the sins of our old nature. We now identify by who we are in Jesus Christ. We must understand this about ourselves, about yourself. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. This is your main identity. He says you were washed blood of Jesus Christ washed away your sins. You know that, that sin regarding the seventh commandment that maybe makes you feel greatly ashamed. You've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Believe it. The Holy Spirit has washed you in regeneration, given you a new nature in Christ. He's freed you to serve God instead of sin. Count yourself that way. He says also, you were sanctified in Jesus Christ. Instead of someone dead in sin and a slave of Satan in Christ, you have been dedicated by the Spirit to God in His service. That's who you are. God has set you apart in His love. He's made a part of you a part of His holy people, apart from anything you've done. You were justified, he says. In Christ Jesus, God counts you and looks upon you as a, a righteous person. As someone who did not break God's commandments. That's what it means to be justified in Christ. 
someone who lived a righteous life. That's the wonder of the gospel. God justifies the ungodly. He does it through faith in Christ. And that's what you have in Christ Jesus. So this is who we are. God points us to this. What are the implications of these precious truths also for the the seventh commandment? Well, you have something far greater in your life than sexual sin. You know, to indulge in sexual sin is to act as those who don't uh, know the Lord. You see, if a person doesn't have any relationship with God, that person will still have some sort of a God that they follow in their lives. Many people, they make sex their God. It's what they serve. Their desires control them completely, and they obey those desires completely. But you know what? Idolatry always leaves someone drained and broken. Same thing here. Just think of what we read in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. No, I don't want to go into detail about what happened at that temple in Corinth, Aphrodite Temple. But the most intimate act, meant to be lovingly shared between only a husband and a wife, and a lifelong bond of marriage, was used to satisfy a craving through someone who is, was used and abused over and over again, day by day. It was just, it was just horrible. And there's no fulfillment in that, none at all. There's no joy in that, not at all. You see, we have something so much greater than that. Why live that way when we have been filled with the King of the universe, Jesus Christ? God has come into our our lives through Jesus Christ. As verse 15 says, your bodies are members of Christ. You're the hands and the feet of Jesus on earth. What a precious thing that is. As verse 16 says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. What an amazing truth. You are one spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so live every day in that light. As he says later on, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Why indulge the emptiness of sin when you have been filled with Almighty God, the Holy Spirit? Sin will never fulfill you. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit will. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And consider how high a price was paid to purchase you. The price was God giving up His perfect Son. Sometimes you hear about high-value items that were sold at an auction. You think of these giant diamonds that are sometimes pulled out of a mine, and they're auctioned off for just millions upon millions of dollars. Perhaps there's a world-famous piece of art price they fetch again, just in the millions of dollars. They were bought at a price. But the thing that fetched the greatest price in in the history of the world 
as God's children. And that's you. Look at the price God was willing to to pay to purchase you for himself. Look how much you are worth to God. He made you his own possession. And that he did not just purchase your soul. He purchased your body. And that's how valuable your body is to God. No matter who you are, that's how valuable your body is to God. And because you were bought with such a high price by God and by Christ Jesus, because your body is so valuable to the Lord, glorify God in your body. Don't use something so precious to God for sin. Use it instead for good and to glorify the Lord. That brings us to our last point. So God calls us to glorify Him in our bodies when it comes to things like sex and marriage. One important way we do this is by seeking to obey the two great commandments, to love God with our whole being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the guide to glorifying God in our bodies. And this, first of all, means having no other gods but the Lord. Sex is a gift from God for the marriage relationship, but it can never take the place of God. Recognize it as a gift, keep it as a gift from God, but don't let it ever take the place of God. It's not the be-all and end-all of life. Doing this also means enjoying it in the way God designed it. God created sex for the marriage relationship only. And that is where it belongs, only. Well, that has, of course, many implications. But what about this? What does this mean for someone in a relationship before marriage? It means that boyfriend and girlfriend need to commit themselves to reserving sexual intimacy for marriage. And young men, let me impress upon you the need to be the leader in this regard. You especially need to ensure things stay within the bounds of God's design. You're the leader. No one else is going to do it for you. It's your responsibility first and foremost. Take that responsibility on yourself. Following God's design also means marriage is a relationship only for one man and one woman. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 makes that abundantly clear. Sexual activity is to be only between one man and one woman. Now, of course, things like same-sex attraction can be a reality for Christians. This does not make a person any less Christian or a beloved child of God. Not at all. No, I heard a statement from a speaker a few weeks ago that I thought was helpful You may not be able to choose your desires, but you can choose your identity, how you identify. And isn't that the very thing 1 Corinthians 6 is teaching us to do? Temptation to all kinds of sexual sin might be present in the life of the believer, but God is saying, find your identity first and foremost in Jesus Christ. Let that be the number one thing. Let that be the controlling factor first and foremost. 
Glorifying God in our bodies also means loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? The, the second great commandment. Human sexuality is a gift from God. It's a beautiful part of the marriage relationship, meant to express the wonderful unity between husband and wife. But when it's taken outside uh, the bounds of marriage, it causes so much damage to our neighbors. And sadly, examples of that abound in our world. You know, this past week, many in our country observed Truth and Reconciliation Day uh, towards Indigenous people, a time meant to acknowledge the harm done to many of them by things such as residential schools, an opportunity to promote healing uh, from the abuse many endured. Well, this past week, I also had the chance to chat with someone who works for an organization that helps women who are victims of human trafficking. And sadly, this is a reality, a very, uh, yeah, a sobering reality in our country, and our culture too. Some of the stats and stories he told are just mind-boggling and so sad. You know, some people are making millions of dollars by selling the bodies of women. Vulnerable women are lured into these rings and get stuck in a life of unspeakable abuse. It's all to satisfy the lustful cravings of the flesh. We said 50% of them are indigenous people, indigenous women. Doesn't all that just make your heart break for them? Someone's stuck in that miserable life. You know, working to help something like human trafficking is one way to help, not just Indigenous women, but anyone stuck in in that wretched cycle of abuse. Now, that example is very stark, but it shows how damaging uh, something like sexual sin can be. Remember, it will harm our neighbor. It's all the more reason to resist temptation. And in that regard, I want to ask you, also about uh, your smartphone use. Well, just think about your smartphone. Well, what kind of messages are you receiving or sending on your smartphone? Is it in line with the seventh commandment? Is it glorifying God with your body? Is it glorifying God with someone else's body? You know, is it leading you to commit sexual sin? Is it leading someone else to commit sexual sin? Uh, what are you doing with your smartphone? What kind of messages are you sending? Let me say also, don't ever feel pressured into sending something that you know is not pleasing to God. Never feel pressured to do that. You don't need to do that. Let me also say, don't ever, don't ever pressure anyone into sending something that's not pleasing to God in this regard. Remember whom we serve. For the sake of our neighbor's good, out of love for our neighbor, let's learn to practice self-control. Build each other up. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Remember, you were bought with a price. Use your body to glorify God. You were the temple of the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit of God. 
you are one spirit with the Lord Jesus. Live in a way that reflects that reality to God's glory. Amen.